I want to thank our sponsors, Athletic Greens, who created AG1, one of the most innovative packets of supplements, including 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. These ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery, focus, and aging. I personally started using Athletic Greens and love the way I feel in the morning after I drink it. And I no longer have energy crashes throughout the day. And the best part is that it's delicious. The founder of Athletic Greens created AG1 because he experienced a ton of gut health and ended up on a complicated and expensive supplement routine to recover. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash yasmine. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash yasmine, Y-A-S-M-E-E-N, to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hi, my name is Yasmine Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Today's episode is with Judith Newman, a globally known spiritual guide who was introduced to me by David Bingham. She spent her early childhood in Sri Lanka and migrated to Australia. For as long as she can remember, she'd ask these questions, who am I and why am I here? She was drawn to meditation and yoga briefly in her 20s, and in 2004, she had a profound heart opening and kundalini awakening. After she went back to college and began a fine arts degree while watching a video of Agnes Martin in art history class, she finally recognized her true nature. She says that post-realization comes with its own challenges, but also wonderful grace and blessings. And from her own experience, she would say a guide is vital on this path. And that's what she now offers to those who are ready for their true self, the simple recognition of who they are. Welcome to the show, Judith. Hello. Thanks for having me, Yasmin. (laughs) So Judith, let's kick it off and talk about what does it actually mean to be a self-realized being and what does it mean to be a true self? A self-realized being, well, you actually finally recognize who you are, you know. um, Your true nature is always here, but it gets covered up with um, our conditioning. And so I'd say the, the recognition of who we are, really, that's the blessing. Yeah, and, and maybe we can also kind of dig into that for folks who may not understand what that means. You know, what does it mean to be a being versus the human being, right, in, in the consciousness? And what, what does that actually mean for people who uh, may not understand it? And perhaps you can even talk about your own experience. Well, it's an underlying um, – consciousness is always there. It's an underlying silent – um you can't label it because it's not a thing so even though we say 
consciousness and awareness and all of that it's actually a recognition it's not a it's not an experience you suddenly recognize that there's this underlying breath almost it's like a ether it is it's not a thing but it is it is who we are and it's it's the I love the way David explains it. It's the never-changing, whether human or identity is always changing. It has moods, it has likes, dislikes, all of those things. It's the changing. And that's not who we are. It's the never-changing. And Judith, can you speak about your own experience when you said that you were in art history class and had this moment of realization of your true nature. Perhaps you can go into the details of what that was like and also why that art inspired that kind of awakening. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I was sitting there like all the, the other students and watching this video of Agnes Martin speak, and I don't know if you're familiar with her art, but it's very simple. It's just simple lines. And... Um, in very soft colors. And what she, the whole expression of it, and just, I can't even tell you what it really was, but the simplicity of it, the simplicity of it is what consciousness is, what our true nature is. It's simple. That's why I call what I do, simple recognition, because it's so simple. It is here all the time, and we constantly overlook it, you know. And when she was speaking, it just hit me. It's like, oh, my gosh, that is me when I saw it. And, yeah, and I realized that that has always been me. Because I was always creative as a child. From the time I was, I can, I can remember, I was creative and I couldn't understand why nobody understood what I was saying or seeing. Um, so I tried to fit into a world that was actually not true. <laughs> mm, yeah. Simply, simply mm-hmm. to exist. And how did your life change when you saw the, I guess, the greatness or the reality of your true nature and who you are. And I I go back to this because I really, even though it's hard to describe and name, I think using stories yeah. uh, are helpful for people to understand because I think a lot of the audience is, you know, mixed between beginners to those who are very far on their path. And so I want to make this accessible to everyone um, and really, really kind of give them some sort of understanding of, of how things shift, um, you know, when, when you awaken and what does it actually mean? Right. So when you, I first had an awakening in the early 2000s and I knew it was significant because I had a massive heart opening Kundalini experience and all of that. And I knew I sort of fell back into my heart space and the whole world opened up almost. And it was, but I had no reference point for that. And all the emotional 
um, issues come up because, you know, our conditioning and everything we've got to deal with. Um, it's not like you're walking on a bit of roses from then on, which a lot of people um, think happens, you know. <laughs> and um, so I spent a number of years um, going through all of that and in that time, I actually spoke to a lot of people who would just come to me and with their own um, emotional problems or, or whatever, and I didn't seek them out. They would just come to me because I had this sense of peace descended on me. Um, but because of all the, the emotional turmoil and, and needing to actually um, understand that and needing to be understood was my issue. And nobody understands it. You can't actually no. expect others who haven't. It's like if you see something, um, I heard somebody mention this the other day, as a matter of fact, I think it was Alan Seinfeld, and he said um, it's like a, a basketball field. There's all these um, kids playing basketball and um, a gorilla walks in in the midst of it all, but they're so focused on passing the ball and whatever, they don't even notice him, right? So it's like that. You're trying to tell someone that there is something else there, but from their perspective, they cannot see it. They, mm. they don't understand what you're even talking about, what you're even saying. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, it's like that. And I thought that was a, a brilliant analogy because um, people would say, well, you know, why are you telling me this? I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. And it's true because they don't. So that in itself is a challenge, you know. It's like suddenly you think, oh, my God, am I going crazy or, or what? But but you're not actually. You're actually the right way up. And <laughs> the world is um has yet to catch up. So Judith, how do you deal with emotions that arise that are maybe negative then? You know, now that you've kind of moved through this realization of self um and you have inner peace, um, do you actually have conflict in your life and if you do how do you react to it how do you kind of react to struggle um i see it I, it doesn't come up often for me but um if something comes at me i can actually see it from the perspective of it's not real that's not really who i am so there's a distinct observation of it it's like you become the observer of, of everything that's going on and you're no longer pulled into it you can see it like a passing parade almost and does that mean do you not get emotional triggers uh when you are in the space and how long did it take for you to get to a place of being able to just observe and not react it took me a while um but it doesn't have to for everyone you know, um, 
Some people can come through it very, very quickly. Others, um, once you've dealt with your stuff, you know, the, the, and by stuff I mean your humanness, um, there's no more triggers. You, you see everything as it is and there's no need to fix anything. There's no need to reject anything. There's no need to actually um, be disturbed by anything. It's just, it's just happening. Life is happening. Where I'm in the moment and life is happening. <laughs> well, so Judith, what about, you know, really kind of difficult things like the death of a loved one or, you know, the dissolution of like a relationship or, I don't know, losing work? How do you, I guess? You still feel that. You, you still have feelings. So yes, you may feel saddened by something, but it doesn't pull you down anymore as opposed to before you know, where we'd go into eternal suffering because you can actually see it from such a different perspective that it's all just consciousness having an experience. Can you say more about that? So give me maybe an example. Like how do you, so you detach yourself from the... No, you don't even detach. You don't have to detach. You can, you can it's like you're in open space and you can allow everything. Hmm. You allow everything because you're this open space of consciousness that allows everything. So if someone dies or whatever, you feel it. Yes, you feel it because you still are. In fact, you are a more feeling and more sensitive being than before. But you learn how to appreciate it because we are sensory beings. You know, we are sensory beings and so um, we've forgotten that, and the mind takes over as a human. Mm. So the mind actually um, is like um, this data bank of experiences and the, the, the knowledge from that experience. And then it keeps on regurgitating the the reaction I should have said the reaction from that experience it keeps on um, reacting to that conditioning yeah and so I, I want to go back to kind of your journey into being in the space of observation and allowing and so in the beginning when you were kind of moving into the space when struggle or conflict happen you would feel the feelings and then you would just, and then what would happen after you felt the feelings? Because I think a lot of people right now in society are having trouble feeling their feelings. Yes, they're frightened of it. And I was as well because it was overwhelming when once, you know, my heart opened and the feelings were overwhelming because I could feel everyone's feelings. And I didn't know which was mine and <laughs> which was somebody else's. And that's, uh, that was my thing. So I actually had to determine what was mine and what was not mine. And you do uh, with practice and with wisdom and with a teacher, you, you actually start to see what is yours and what is not yours, and that starts the healing process. So it really, um, because we're not like, you know, sages in, in the old days where you just go and live up in the, mountain somewhere and <laughs> isolate yourself from 
from the rest of humanity. Um, I mean, that was ideal, but it doesn't work nowadays. And um, we have to live amongst people. So you learn to actually live with people. And it's much more difficult. It's much more difficult <laughs> when you can feel everything. You sense everything and you feel everything. But the beauty and the gift of that is we, we're becoming or we're going back to being sensory beings as opposed to mind-driven robotic beings, really. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I, th I think that there's a lot of folks who maybe don't have like the right toolkit or understanding of how to deal with that. I mean, you know, even just the process of allowing things um, that are uncomfortable. I think a lot of folks believe that the uncomfortable parts of life are going to destroy us or they're just going to, it's going to stay uncomfortable. But I think, you know, the idea of impermanence that like, of course, even the negative feelings are going to go away. Um, you know, what was that experience for you? I mean, how did you learn to just sit with them? Did you have to cultivate trust? And how long does it usually take now for your feelings to kind of move through you? Oh, instantly. Um, it took, well, my meditation practice, yoga and meditation was, you know, all these things came to me. I didn't go seeking them. So um, I think our path is um, carved out for us. And um, I just fell into all of the yoga and everything at an early age. Um, I think I mentioned to you at about 26 I stumbled upon my first yoga class and then life takes over and um, I came back to it in my 40s and um, because life in the, the real world always stressed me. <laughs> <laughs> I found it very stressful and, um, or I should say unreal world. <laughs> it was very stressful. <laughs> And so I came back to yoga and meditation and all of that, and my teacher said, you should be a, a yoga teacher. He said, I'm training some teachers, why don't you? So I did it and at a time when my life was falling apart, and um, it was the best thing for me. And through that open door, it led me to to India and the Himalayas. I was went trekking the Himalayas and all of that and um, sat with, gurus and swamis and sages and it was a wealth of knowledge but um, also to come back and live in the world um, as a human having had these experiences takes a while to settle in and to adjust and uh, when especially when no one around me even understood what I'd been through alone you know what I was experiencing now so it's not easy but these days I mean that was in the early 2000s these days it's a lot easier because there's so many more people waking up and there's so many of us who are ready to help them you know to help this difficult um, journey it's, it's a minefield and and it is scary and you say, Judith, that we need a guide, and I'm curious what you mean by that and also um, who 
was your guide and how that was so helpful in your own experience? Um, I didn't actually have many because my yoga teacher, he was pretty much uh, the only one at the time, and then he left. <laughs> and so I was I was um, pretty much on my own, but I learned to navigate by myself. I By accepting everything, that's how I was able to navigate, and by meditating, by meditating, cultivating my intuition, and learning to navigate um, by being present, pretty much by being present. And mm. my creativity, right brain creativity, was a great help because that's the effortless being part, you see. An artist just knows how to sit and be in this open space. It's like it's like being a child without the before the programming. Mm-hmm. Like a little child um, pre-programming where you're open and um, uh, open all experiences without any need for an outcome or, yeah, without a need for an outcome and without need to label anything. That's the effortless being part. So I would say effortless being is like being a, a little child, um, you know, like a two-year-old that sees everything for the first time and is open to everything and without any expectation, plays with what is present and moves mm. on to the next thing that comes in. That's effortless being, and that's the way of an artist, really. And not just a painter. I mean, any artist, musicians, anyone. Beautiful. I love that. The idea of no label, no outcome, no expectation. I think that, I think a lot of us get attached to our expectations <laughs> and not what we want to have happen and what we expect to have happen. And we're conditioned with that. And that's, yeah. that's the part that is a little difficult to get around. Yeah. And it's so funny because I think a lot of people will say like some of their greatest uh, moments of suffering actually catalyzed some of their greatest moments of joy and redirection. So it's it's interesting the resistance that we have towards change. And I think mm-hmm. right now, especially, you know, many years into this pandemic, it's felt like we have no control <laughs> and we have no choice but to let go and to allow, which I think is definitely easier said than done when so many variables are constantly shifting. So I'm curious how the pandemic has maybe shifted um, your experience of this work with others. Like, how, Have you noticed how that's impacted your perspective? Yeah, well, my perspective. Um, for me, it was a... <laughs> It was a great time for me because I got a lot done. I got, you know, to write um, the book that I'd been um, penning for a while. Um, And also I got to see that what I was painting over the last, and I'll go back to this because it's relevant, that what I'd been painting through my experience was in fact the journey. And a lot of people didn't understand it. I would 
put it out there. So I thought it, it actually came to me that I should actually write about it. And it came to me many times and I kept um, not rejecting it, but, yeah, I'll get to it, yeah, I'll get to it, <laughs> you know. And um, But the pandemic actually allowed me to sit down quietly and to put into words everything that I had come through and experienced. And it's such an interesting, you know, I didn't realise it was so interesting because at the time you take it personally before you before the whole person dissolves, if I may say it that way, before the identity of this person dissolves, everything is taken personally, mm. you know, and that's the suffering. That's the suffering. So once I was able to sit down and, and write this, I saw the beauty in it. I saw the beauty of this and the incredible um, joy that I experienced through everything. You actually, Yasmin, one of the things that I would say that is most important is that once you recognize who you are, once you realize and recognize who you are, that you've been there all the time, everything and once the, the human is dissolved, everything is seen from a perspective of clarity and you see things. That's not the way I saw it then. <laughs> you kind of look at it and you go, what was I thinking? That was such a joyous gift. That wasn't pain. And it's so liberating. It is so liberating. So that's what I show people. You know, I've had um, a couple of people come to me and with their woes, and it's like, no woe here. There's no woe. Woe is your human that thinks it's suffering, but it's actually not. Your human is giving you the gift of seeing who you really are. Mm. And it's like, whoa, this is a playground. Mm, yeah, I love that. I love that. It's so nice to talk to you and folks like David because it feels so relaxing <laughs> to kind of de depersonalize your life essentially and just um, not get so attached to the, I guess we call it the I-centered universe or the me-centered universe um, where we think everything is happening to us. <laughs> um, yeah, it's lovely. And Judith, uh, what does time mean to you when you say that this, that you're an infinite consciousness? Like, how do you perceive time? Well, I still have a physical, I'm in physical form still. So I have to adhere to time for appointments and, you know, things that have to be done. But most, mostly, I just flow with whatever comes in. So it's like there's time and there's no time. I'm all over because I'm not actually. I noticed something before, actually. I feel hungry when I'm inhuman. I noticed that. So when I, and I just laughed, I, I noticed that this morning and I burst out laughing. These little things just make me laugh hysterically. So when I um, dropped into my humanness for a moment because I'd 
um, misplaced something and it was like, oh, darn, how could I have done that? And so I sat still and I noticed in my body I started feeling hungry. (laughs) I thought, what was that about? And I realized, oh, I've dropped into my humanness. And so, and I just cracked up laughing and I just went about my business, you know, and there it was. Anyway, what I thought I'd misplaced because it's always there. It's like it hasn't gone anywhere. I have gone somewhere. So it's just hilarious. It's hilarious. Um, It's like a completely different world. You move into a totally different paradigm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, And I've heard also that like, you know, when we are kind of this effortless being or then when we're kind of, um, you know, kind of dis, I wouldn't say disassociative, but like when we're kind of removed from the human body, we like eating is very grounding. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Eating, eating oftentimes returns us to the present moment if, you know, um, if we're at least consciously eating. Um, but so Judith, what does love mean to you and why do you think we're here? I mean, what's the purpose of our life? It's a tough question, but. (laughs) (laughs) Good question. Really good question. Um, the purpose of our life is to actually experience everything and experience the joy of everything. Go fully into all experiences. Not wholehearted, not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly into every experience, fearlessly, and experience it. And be willing to get so um, being open-hearted. Um, or oh, you said, "What does love mean?" Um, interesting. Yeah, two separate questions, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd say love is. Um, Love on the the duality human spectrum is contractual and conditional. It's always a contract, really. But from the perspective of um, a conscious being, it is eternal and it is unconditional because I see you as the love that you are. I see everyone as the love that they are, whether they recognize it for themselves or not. You are a sovereign being, and I see you as that. Mm. So because I know I'm not separate from you, at the essence, at our core, we're not separate from anything, from the tree outside or the, the bird that just flew by or, you know, the beauty of everything is just exquisite. Hmm. And I think that concept is so important because I think the reason why we feel a sense of control or loss is because we feel like we're we're separate. Yeah. But you're separate from yourself. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. Can you say more about that, Judith? The only thing is, and that's the recognition, that's the realization that you have been separate from who you truly are. That is the true nature 
we've been separate from our true nature. Once that has been seen, you go, oh my, it's it's like a head smack. <laughs> you go, oh my gosh. That's why it cannot be read about or um, you can read many, many books and you can listen to many people, but everyone has a different perspective and suddenly when you're ready, when the, when the being is ready, it'll suddenly, like me, it was just a painting. Everyone else in the room was sitting there. No one even knew what she was talking, what Agnes Martin was talking about. For me, it just went bang, that's it. That's who you are. You've been that all along and you've been looking past it. And I got, I I had my head smack moment right there. Beautiful. That's, yeah, amazing. Um, That sounds like also a much easier way to awaken, I think, than for a lot of other people. Um, Judith, can you talk to us about some of the stories of awakening that you have heard or seen over the years? I mean, are there any kind of major themes that have emerged uh, in this world? And yeah, just curious, like any major themes or things that you, you constantly see show up over and over again and how you would tell folks, um, you know, how to look at it differently? There's no major theme. Usually um, it just happens. If it's meant to happen for a person, it'll happen, you know, and the teacher is always there. When when the student is ready, the teacher is there, and it's true. For me it happened indirectly and and yet that was the way it was supposed to happen. And um, it, a lot of people actually come to me when they're, They've had re- a really di- difficult time and they can't cope anymore. And it's like, okay, but I'm not going to. And I usually tell them straight up, I'm not, um, it's not in your best interest for me to pander to your suffering. Because mm. I believe a lot of counseling and all of that just keeps the cycle of suffering going. The more you work on something, the more you're actually keeping it going. I think pointing directly to who you are and showing you who you're not, that's it. That is actually the way to go because it's um, it shows you that there's something more than, than your suffering self, you know. And so... Um, then from there, once they've actually seen that, then you can show them how to integrate it and how and things that will come up which have been in the way of their seeing the whole time. Mm. That's such a powerful point, Judith. I want to actually highlight that because I think that there's so much self-help and kind of a an industry of different things that people need to constantly work on. And, you know, I've also been like thinking about this as well, like as we try to grow and become more conscious and work on ourselves, like are we also perpetuating even more suffering when we focus on all the things that we need to work on, all the all the ways that we are not 
quote unquote, complete, rather than focusing on being in a creative space or just being in a space of acceptance. And I think, you know, this productivity culture, especially in the capitalistic world, is obsessed with growth. I mean, I also want to grow, you know, I want to evolve as a being. And so, yeah, I think it's just like an interesting um, question, you know, how do we grow without doing the work, <laughs> essentially? Um, it, well, you do the work afterwards because you don't know what you're working on. The other way, the other way, you actually, so there's a lot of self-help and all of that out there and there's counselling and this, that and the other, and I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking any of it. It is there for those that need it. But in my um, opinion and my uh, experience, I've had a few people who have come to me who have said they've been to counselling and they've been to therapists and this, that and the other. And it's taken years, it's taken a lot of money and there's still no no better for it. (laughs) But um, so it becomes just like everything else, like you said, it becomes another industry. And it's not actually taking anybody anywhere. The industry of suffering. <laughs> exactly. It's just exacerbating the suffering. It, it keeps it going, perpetuating the suffering. So um, I would say if you don't know what you're working on, what you're trying to overcome, how can you overcome it? You know, you've got to have the – you've got to know – first what it is before you can overcome it isn't it (laughs) otherwise what are you trying to because it's like the human let's let's put okay let me try and put it this way it's like the human working on the human Mm, yeah Mm -hmm. you can't possibly do that you're going around in circles yeah because human cannot do enlightenment or realization I prefer to use the word realization. The human cannot do realization. You cannot. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I you get it. Because it's a it's your mind. The human is only is an aspect of consciousness. The mind. The human is only mind. It's a construct. I'm, I'm talking about the identity and you know physical form identity is a is a construct, an aspect. So how can you possibly, how can it overcome itself? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, fascinating. Um, it's something for me to think about. <laughs> it's actually not very deep at all. It, it is when you see yeah. it. It's simple. It's simple, but it's profound. And so it's it's so simple that it's so difficult to comprehend, maybe. Exactly. And that's the point, <laughs> Yasmin. That is actually um, why the suffering just keeps on going. Yeah, because we're probably trained that things are only worth it if they're difficult, right? Or complicated exactly. or complex. 
Complicated, yes. You know, I love the work of Yuval Noah Harari. Mm-hmm. You, you know him? Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, he's one of your <laughs> uh, <laughs> people, I think. Um, I saw his interview, uh, his 60-minute interview with Anderson Cooper just recently and he spoke about his right, you know, with all the uh, technology speeding up and all of that. He's right. And we, as human, the human race is like a computer. Mm. Yeah. The human mind is just like a computer. It's all this programmed information that we keep on regurgitating when we need to figure something out, but it's never taking us beyond that. It never takes us beyond that. And that's, you know, a perfect analogy, really. So Judith, we're going to wrap up um, because we're almost at time, but I wanted to ask, uh, where can listeners um, find you and learn more about you? And one more question after that, but before we get to that, where can we find you, Judith? Um, Well, I'm available. I I make myself available when people want to um, discover their true nature. I have a website. It's called judithnewmanartist.com. And um, there's a contact page. You can contact me through that. And I'll do a Zoom call with um, anywhere in the world. I have um, someone who will um, organize an appointment, you know, a time that's suitable for, that is suitable for both of us. And uh, we take it from there. But, um, yeah, it's um, so accessible now with um, Zoom and technology. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it really is. And Judith, what has surprised you the most on this journey? If you could think back to your whole journey, what what kind of has surprised you the most? What surprised me the most is that I've always been awake. <laughs> <laughs> That's what surprised me the most. Mm-hmm. I have always been awake in a world that was not awake, and I tried to fit in. I tried to fit in as a creative. I was always awake. And I had so much trouble trying to fit into the narrative and the the expectations of the world that it stressed me out. And I realized that that's because I've always been awake. And so that surprised me the most. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are like that. Mm, Yeah. And it's so simple. It's really very simple. You know, we don't have to push and shove and force. And I think the the patriarchal society that we've lived in for eons is coming to an end. That's why all of this now. And the age of Aquarius is actually being your authentic self, your unique self. And that's what we're stepping into. Beautiful. Judith, thank you so much for your time. This was such a lovely conversation. I've learned so much. I took a lot of notes. So super grateful to have you on this podcast and for your time. I know that you're in Australia too. So thank you for making this time work. (laughs) 
Thank you for having me. Wonderful. And we'll include the links in the show notes that folks can find you easily. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about our effortless being with Judith Newman. And you can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness, well-being, and spirituality. Thanks again.